Welcome to GoPro, a podcast dedicated to giving athletes the tools to transition, transform, and achieve their greater purpose in life. Get ready to go pro. In this episode of GoPro, our guest takes us through the highs and lows of her career and how she was able to overcome the five stages of grief. Whenever we lose or let go of something dear to us, there are five emotional stages we must go through. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Now, depending on the individual, you may take longer to move through one stage versus the next. We'll also take a deep dive into some of the improvements that can be made to strengthen that relationship between the player and the team therapist. Let's get it. Welcome back to the GoPro podcast, where we have an exciting treat for you guys today, our first female guest. And she played soccer at the University of Central Florida, where she was an absolute monster. Let me just uh, let me just read off some of the accomplishments she had while she was there. American Conference Player of the Year in 2017. First Team All-Conference. Holds multiple records at UCF, including all-time leader in game-winning goals. And not only that, she has been most recently recognized as one of the top 30 coaches under 30 years old across America. Welcome to the show, Morgan Ferreira. Thanks, Nate. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. So I like to start off the show with a bit of an icebreaker. So my icebreaker to you is, what is the last lie that you told? And would you tell it again? Well... I was thinking about that question, and um, my most recent lie I told was my dad about 10 minutes ago asked, do you want to work out? And I was like, yeah, dad, sure. But no part of me wants to exercise. So uh, I guess that's my my little white lie. And uh, I think I'm going to end up working out, so I guess I would tell it again. Yeah, that's probably all of us right now. It is no secret. It's been hard to stay active and stay fit. I've just been sitting on the couch eating my Corona snacks. Exactly. (laughs) But I will get straight into things. Um, So with everything that you've accomplished, I cannot imagine your journey was easy at all. Please share with us your story and what factor mental health played in your journey. Okay, so when I was in high school, I committed to Mississippi State when I was a sophomore. So I was 15 years old, which is a huge problem in college athletics. Um, When I got to Mississippi State, I graduated high school early. So I was just turned 18 and it was January. I started in the spring semester uh, to kind of get ahead of my class. I was so in over my head. I had no idea what to expect. Um, I was suddenly struggling with these emotions like anxiety and depression and I didn't even know what they were at the time I was just constantly on edge I was constantly striving for that perfectionism that I always had growing up and you know and how it goes in college it's almost impossible with everything you have to deal with Um, so in the fall semester of my freshman year I just couldn't take it anymore I wasn't sleeping I wasn't eating and my athletic trainer she was like well have you ever thought about seeing someone and It's like, no, I don't need a therapist. I'm not crazy. You know, the stigma that is around mental health. Um, Eventually I caved in because it kind of just became too much to bear. Uh, And when I went to my first session to see our psychologist that worked for the athletic department, 
our star football player was walking out of his office when I was walking in and it just kind of made me take a deep breath and be like, wow, even someone as famous almost in the SEC level as him, he's seeing someone, okay, maybe it's not so bad that I am doing this. And after that, I mean, I really took a turning point. Um, I had a falling out at Mississippi State with my coach. Um, we, uh, <laughs> we didn't see eye to eye, to say the least. And um, yeah, I mean, after everything that happened at Mississippi State, I decided uh, that I wanted to transfer and, and get closer to home. So I went to UCF and my first semester at UCF was an absolute disaster. <laughs> my grades fell. I, I wanted to be at Mississippi State because that was my dream school. That's where I made all my friends. Um, and I just, my soccer was suffering because of it. So I decided to find someone to see at UCF. And, and throughout all three and a half years I spent there, I saw someone. And, and that's really what took my game to the next level. You know, all these young athletes that might be listening right now, everybody's going to be working hard. Everybody's going to be doing the exercises in the weight room. They're going to be doing extra training on the side. They're going to be eating right. But if you can separate your mental from everybody else, that's what's really going to take you to the next level. And I know that's what did for me. Um, so after my successes at UCF, I, I knew I wanted to play professionally. That had always been my dream since I was a little girl. Um, but I kind of felt like I was fueled by the wrong reasons. You know, Every, when I set my goals with my coach, she would about how I wanted to be player of the year my senior year. I wanted to score this many goals. I wanted to get this score on the fitness test. She looked at me and she was like, okay, I mean, if that's what you want, like if that's what you think you can do, I believe you can do it. And my coach obviously was one of my biggest supporters, but I felt like everyone else kind of always counted me out. I played with this chip on my shoulder. Um, and, and that negative fuel when I got to pro soccer, it's kind of like, all right, well now I made it here and no one really gives a shit. <laughs> So I, I realized uh, I played with Orlando Pride for a little bit. And then when I went, when I was done there, I went overseas to France and um, I was completely alone over there. Nobody spoke English. Uh, you're thousands and thousands of miles away from home. You're six hours time zone ahead. So you can't even really talk to your family. And that's a whole nother sense of loneliness that I had never felt before. And when it came down to it, like I love soccer and I... It was my dream come true, but it wasn't making me happy. It wasn't fulfilling my purpose that I feel I was put on this earth for. So I came home from France. Um, I knew in my heart I was done with soccer, but I was horrified to tell my parents. Um, so I kind of started doing some research and I found out there's this theory called the five stages of grief that usually when it's talked about is spoken about in when people die, um, loved ones go through five stages of grief. But I kind of felt, and I feel most athletes would, would relate to this, soccer, <laughs> I've been playing since I was four years old. That was my life. That was my first love. That was what I dedicated my whole life to. So I kind of felt like I was going through these five stages of grief. You know, the first one, denial. I got home and I'm like, well, what the hell do I want to do with my life now? <laughs> Our, our school, UCF, did a great job of preparing us as far as resume building, um, networking, that sort of thing. I was SAC president, so I was super connected. But I felt this almost like I can't be done with soccer because I'm nothing without it. And I had this sense of denial in me that I was worthless without soccer. And that's totally not the case. Uh, that I bring so much more to the world than, than soccer. And then after I kind of got out of that phase, I went into this... <laughs> 
angry phase, like, was I not good enough? Did I not work hard enough? Did I not take care of my body well enough? Maybe if I wouldn't have gotten this injury, had this surgery, if I would have done things differently, could this outcome have been different? And at the end of the day, I believe God has a purpose. And although the anger I felt in my heart about losing soccer, it it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted it to be when I got to that top level. So then I moved into the next stage of bargaining. All right, God. All right. Well, if I if I do this sprint, if I do this workout, okay, if I I'll give you anything you want, like I'll eat healthy, I'll lose 10 pounds, whatever I need to do. I need to do it to get to the next level. I need to do it to play pro. I need to do this. I need to do that. Just bargaining with with whoever would listen in my head <laughs> with who and uh I just really felt this sense of I'll give up this to to achieve this goal, this this goal that I didn't even, in the back of my head, I knew I really didn't even want, but I felt like soccer defined me, so I had to, I had to get to that professional status, and then the fourth stage, I felt depression, you know, when you finally kind of realize, well, maybe this is it, maybe this is the end of my career, um, and that was kind of the stage where I had the conversation with my parents, like, I don't want to play anymore. It's it's not making me happy. It's it's not what it used to be. This isn't what I expected. And to my surprise, both of my parents were like, "Okay." Like they didn't care. They I thought they were going to be mad at me and they they were like so supportive and and they they wanted me to quit since I was a kid. <laughs> Come to find out, they they thought that I gave up so much for soccer and that I missed out on so much of life. So they were super supportive. Um and then came the last stage, acceptance. Like, okay, I'm done with soccer. What's next for me? Um, and, and then I kind of had to explore, well, what's my purpose? So I knew I always wanted to help people. I always wanted to, um, I always, I knew I wanted to develop younger people on and off the field. So what better way to do that than coaching? So from the time that I was in France, um, I came home within three weeks. I was sitting in Richmond, Kentucky, which is where I went, um, to get my first coaching gig and kind of like what the hell just happened that all happened so fast um but it turned out to be one of the best things that happened to me um I'm a coach now at University of Massachusetts and coaching fulfills my purpose more so than than playing ever could um sharing your knowledge with with youth and being that positive role model for them on and off the field and showing them that it's okay to not be okay and creating that environment to talk about mental health it's fulfilling a purpose that that playing never could. So that's that's my story. Wow. Yeah. I um I appreciate your vulnerability and and sharing that with us. And it's I mean it's no secret that athletes you know we want to be great at everything. A lot of us are high achieving perfectionists, and sometimes that toll of perfectionism can be tough when the results don't really match what we uh what we kind of expected. But I really appreciate you know some of the the uh the scientific elements that you uh that you hit on with those four stages because I know I felt them um and I know a lot of other athletes have as well um so I remember you telling me um you know on a separate call that you had did a lot for mental health in college athletics can you uh expand on some of the great work that you did in college or or in high school so after I got to UCF and I realized that the stigma around mental health was really a problem, um, some of my best friends, uh, the rest of the SAC presidents in the American Conference, uh, we started this initiative called Powerful Minds. Um, and it was an initiative to kind of end the stigma around mental health and creating environments in our programs that made it okay 
to talk about mental health and to, to not be okay and be vulnerable and be open about, yeah, I'm a, I'm a star athlete, but I struggle with the same thing you guys are struggling with. Um, so with Powerful Minds came our green week, which green is the color for mental health, where a week of all the sports that played wore something green to support it. Um, and then throughout the year, it was just making resources known about where you could seek help on your campus and just trying to create an environment where it was okay to talk about it. So that initiative is still going on now. I graduated in 2018. It's, 20, it's been going on for three years. So they're still continuing to talk about it and it grows every year. So it was beautiful to see that keep growing even after we left. Um, so that was the biggest thing that we did in college. Man, that's amazing. Um, that's, uh, that's really good work <laughs> and actually surprising because I just remember back in college, um, there were some guys and to, to put it lightly, they had a very rough upbringing. And when you experience traumatic events at a very young age, you grow up a lot faster than others. And, and those events tend to take a toll on you um, as you get older. And I feel like those guys could have really benefited from seeking a counselor or, or talking to a therapist. But most of the therapists um, on our campus, at least, were were older white people. And, you know, nothing's wrong with that. But it's it's hard for them to, I guess, um, understand the background and, and kind of some of the events that, that some of these guys were going to. And I can't, you know, I can't imagine you would want me to lead the next uh, game plan or, or soccer team or whatever that, that you're a part of because I have no history in soccer. Like, I can't relate to what you're going through. And I feel like that's kind of the, uh, the parallel that they felt as well. So I guess my question to you is, how do you feel like the problem should be addressed on both the school and the player side? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great point, Nate. I, in my personal opinion, I think that we need more people of color in power. Um, and I think that the per- psych- psychology profession needs more people that are relatable. And, and um, as far as the school standpoint, I know at UCF, uh, our associate athletic director, Dr. Eric Wood, he was um, an African-American man. And I know that a lot of my African-American friends went to him to talk. And, you know, it's just finding those resources within your athletic department that maybe they're not a psychologist, but at least it's someone to talk to and it's, it's someone to get the conversation going. Um, but as far as from my, from a coaching standpoint, I try to make the environment as open as possible by sharing my story and letting them know that it's okay to talk to me, to talk to a counselor. Um, but just getting people involved that represent the student athletes better is the next step. I mean, I know at University of Massachusetts, we have a full-time psychologist uh, that works with our team on a weekly basis. And so whether they're seeking help or not, at least they're getting something. Um, So maybe involving a psychologist or a mental health specialist in your team once a week, whatever it takes, at least then you're encouraging the conversation. So if someone needs individual help, they can feel more comfortable seeking it. But I I agree. I think it's a huge problem that that needs to be addressed. But all we can do is just keep spreading awareness and and spreading the word. Yeah, no, you you bring up some really good points. And and it doesn't really have to be the the therapist or the actual uh, physician, whatever, that is a minority. Because I remember thinking back on it my freshman, sophomore year, we had a coach named uh, Coach Ivy, and he was our strength coach. And he used to always work out with us, push us um, to our limits in football. But he also was a big advocate for mental health and, um, you know, finding your optimal arousal and, and 
just being able to get in the zone, uh, as people like to say, when you're on the field. But aside from all that, he um, he was a, he was a very vulnerable dude. He like if you had a problem, you had no um, no hesitation to go up to him and he would meet you in that moment right there where you were. So I think hitting on the importance of incorporating more diversity and inclusion into these big universities is a huge step in the right direction, whether that be a coach, physician, professor, because that can dramatically change the course of someone's life, um, you know, to a point where it can't even be described in words. Um, As we wrap things up, I do want to share this quote with you that I came across uh, by Dr. Martin Luther King. It said, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. So what that quote means to me is that at the foundation of a codependent relationship, whether that's the university, depending on its student athletes for funding or professor and a student, both sides need the proper resources in place to promote growth at a spiritual, mental, physical and emotional level. And only then will the group as a whole be able to reach its maximum level of productivity. As we come to a close, Morgan, I want to give you the opportunity to share with our listeners where can they find you at on social media if they have any questions, concerns, whatever. Yeah, so my Twitter is Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, Ferreira, F-E-R-R-A-R-A, and my Instagram is M-P, Kicks, Kicks a Soccer Ball, M-P Kicks again. Uh, so if you want to reach out to me with any questions or if you just want someone to talk to you, that's that's what I'm here for and that's what I love to do. Awesome. Well, there you have it. Thanks again, Morgan, for joining us and good luck to your team this season. I'm your host as always, Nate Brown, and we will see you all next time on the GoPro Show. Thanks for listening to the GoPro Podcast with your host, Nate Brown. Feel free to leave a review and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify.